My name is David Hershkovitz. I'm the founder of Paper Magazine, and this is Light Culture. Listen, learn, and stay ahead of the curve as I knock heads with cultural disruptors of the past, present, and future. Light Culture is brought to you by Burb, the Vancouver-based cannabis brand. Once upon a time, there was a girl named Sarah and her mom named Colette. Together, they opened a shop in the chic Paris neighborhood of Rue Saint-Honoré that they called Colette. We're going to find out what brought her in 1997 to the decisive moment of opening a store that would go on to be a must-see destination for every fashionista, hipster, and cool kid with any pretension to being where it's at. Designers, artists, rappers, models, and stylists galore traipsed in and out, whether to see the latest exhibit at the gallery or explore the boutique cafe water bar or just hang out. People watch and make the scene. Colette sold everything from watches and phones to sneakers and couture fashion. Somehow, in one place at one time, it all fit together like a giant jigsaw puzzle that reflected the multiverse of interests that made up the creative persona of our guest today, Sarah Andelman. We haven't spoken since she abruptly closed Colette in 2017, had a baby, moved to a cabin in Woodstock, and opened her agency called Just an Idea. Today, she joins us from Paris. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you, David. So you had what people call the coolest store in the world, and you decided to close it. Seems prophetic given the state of the retail market in the corona world of today. No, absolutely. We had no idea how the world will change after we close, but that was definitely the right moment. After 20 years, we felt it was a wonderful adventure. We wanted to stop before it was too late. That's true that since it was just nightmares after nightmares for the retail industry. <laughs> you had gone through several of those prior to that when you opened there was that whole collapse of the financial banking system, right? And in 1998, right after you opened, did that affect you at all in the beginning? No, nothing was easy. The opening for sure, Paris was really uh, not the most exciting city when we opened. And uh, of course, there was few crises, but nothing comparable. There was the yellow jackets in Paris in 2019, I think. And all the shops on Faubourg Saint-Honoré, on Rue Saint-Honoré, they had to protect themselves with wood against riots. And this vision, I didn't expect to see that one day be closed for the COVID situation. You closed Colette. Another question we can discuss is why you didn't sell it. But at the same time that paper was acquired also in 2017, and Colette stopped also in 2017, it must have been difficult to stop because for me, at least, it was you're so busy, you're working around the clock, you're constantly involved in what you're doing and your creation, and then suddenly it's over. How did you feel at first when you wound up closing it? Well, we decided a few months before uh, we announced it, July 17, and we really felt it was a cycle, you know, the end 
of something. My mom, it's my mom's decision first because of her age. Me, I wouldn't imagine to continue without her. It was working. We still had so many designers. We wanted to present artists. We wanted to show, but it was also, we didn't want to be in a routine, a repetition. We have been so lucky uh, to experiment all the times, to reinvent ourselves, to surprise with uh, Windows events. And we really didn't want to, that it become too repetitive, I would say. So it was the fact that all the team from Colette in the shop, the office, the stock, uh, we had this deal with Saint Laurent that they would all be transferred to Saint Laurent and keep the same salary. Do you say that in English? Yes. It makes us much more lighter for us to decide to close because we knew they would have this security. I, I imagine it wouldn't have been the same if we had to deal with a team of 100 people we loved without this support. So I think it gave us more uh, lightness, let's say, and to feel it was really uh, the, the right thing to do. It's funny that it was Saint Laurent that uh, wound up you working with because before that there had been a big incident right with them refusing to sell you their clothes because you had put out a t-shirt saying Aunt Laurent without Eve a parody t-shirts which were pretty common it was one of the things that people were doing but Hedy Sleman I guess and, and the team there thought that was too offensive for them to handle yet you wound up working with them at the end before before that when I was I don't know the year by, by memory, but uh, when I discovered Le, La Vilaine Lulu, it's by Monsieur Yves Saint Laurent himself. I saw in New York this exhibition, 40 Years of Saint Laurent, with amazing photographers from Jean Lucier. And do you remember this Saint Laurent exhibition in New York? Because yes. I saw this show in New York and I asked to have it in Paris at, at the gallery. And for this, I met Mrs. Dominique Desroches, who was a historic PR of Saint Laurent, and Monsieur Pierre Berger. So very early in college history, I went to Saint Laurent when it was still belonged to Saint Laurent. After we still had, uh, after Saint Laurent by, uh, by, uh, for Stefano Pilati. And Eddie Sliman's story, it's strange because we worked with him from his very first collection. The fashion world had changed so much since you started, was that also part of your decision to stop, that so much of what you had started and created was now being replicated by other people, other stores, everyone wanted to be like Colette? Yes and no. I think, well, again, it was before everything a personal decision with the age of my mom, but it's true, what changed a lot is the brands and their own distribution. And it was nonstop a fight to get early delivery because all these big brands, they were very happy to be at Colette, to be part of a selection with a different eye, to touch different customers. But they also realized, meanwhile, they developed their own stronger e-commerce on their own shops. And it's true, it was a constant fight for me to say, look, if we want it in same, if not before, at least same time as your own shop, not later, and it became more and more difficult along the years. And also the fact, and that's a very positive thing, that the brands, even young designers, could very easily develop their own e-commerce and sell directly to their clients, which is great. And I remember the first time I contacted a beauty brand like 
glossier on they told me, oh, but our business is based on our own direct distribution. We cannot sell to a multi-brand retailer. I was not ready for this because we are used to brands very excited to work with us. And suddenly they had this new business model to be uh, strong uh, alone uh, in their distribution, which was great. And now also Instagram, of course, people buying directly there. That's that's the sort of the distribution outlet for a lot of brands. Yes, but Instagram, I've been a very, very, very positive thing for Colette. It's really changed a lot on the perception of Colette because people realize there was always something happening, that every day we receive new products. Every week there would be something, a book signing, a show, opening a live concert, a cooking class, you know. And even if we would communicate on this through a newsletter, through our website, with Instagram, there was this instantaneity which would show the life of Colette and that was fantastic for us. Even from the commercial side, we could sell some products with a picture on our Instagram before we had time to even display it on the shelves. So that was very, very positive for us. Today it's called a concept store, but before you opened, people didn't even know what a concept store was because it didn't really exist in the same way. So what was your idea at the time? Did you already have a vision to have all of these events that you described as part of, of the store or did that come about over time? But the first concept was really to bring together everything we like and to imagine it would work perfectly to bring together a gallery, a restaurant open all day long and a selection of products from beauty, design, fashion and culture. For me, it didn't change from the, the first day to the last day to bring a cool selection of products, not necessarily new or not necessarily trendy, but just our own mix of products. From the beginning, we had the gallery opening and we were very, very free. So from the beginning, we had regularly some events and parties. I think the expression concept store was from the beginning, people would say this is a concept store. And me, I was against this formula because it didn't mean anything for, for me. But yes, it was a place where we would come just for a glass of water or to discover a new artist or just to discover a new uh, designer. We like to be a platform with connection, interaction with all these different uh, media. I know you had worked at Purple Magazine as an intern, and it seems Colette was kind of a magazine come to life because in a magazine, you could have all these various elements together in one place. And you have fashion, you have pop art, you could have politics even. Was that an influence at all in your thinking that you wanted to sort of bring to life the idea of something like a magazine? I loved and I used a lot the comparison with a magazine. I don't think we had it in our mind from the beginning, but it's true. The fact it was a weekly transformation with the windows and the way we display the products in the shop, it was exactly like a chief editor would work uh, with a magazine. I would say the influence from Purple Magazine on me was more to meet very early some talents like Hussein Chalayan, Victor Androlf, uh, Mark Borswick, to meet all these different uh, creative talents, this definitely had a stronger impression for me. And I wanted to invite them at Colette uh, from the beginning. 
because you also went to art school, so you have a background in art. History of art, sorry. <laughs> History of art? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you wanted also to include art in your store as part of the experience. Oh, absolutely. I always love to visit galleries and museums. And uh, But again, I was not even 20 years old when we opened Colette, and we, I organized already to care of the gallery space. So let's, Colette was my school. It was really the fact that every month we would do a new installation, work with a new artist, which is how I, I got my uh, experience. So you were just 20 when you started and you got involved with your mother working together. Was it your idea and you convinced her to work with you? And did she immediately think, wow, this is great? I think my mom wanted to work with me and she could figure out before myself that I could have this interest for art, fashion, beauty, for, for this curiosity for everything. And she often said she opened it to, so we could work together. Me Again, I was very young. <laughs> uh, I realized after how it was a fantastic uh, experience and opportunity. We visited the space because we moved in this building. We lived uh, in the same building. And I think my mom wanted to do it. Also, Mark, who took care of the restaurant. Milan, who was part of the story at the beginning. And myself. Because one of the things you did also, which was not very Parisian and the way I think of it is have a very international perspective that you brought in a lot was American art. But not only was it American art, it was not art that was in most of the galleries. It was the new American pop art that connected more to street art and graffiti. And then also in your other sourcing, for example, a lot of Japanese products and you would spend a lot of time finding these unique and interesting products. Is that something as well that made the store stand out because you had this perspective that wasn't just Parisian? People would go to Paris usually to shop in the Parisian stores that had the amazing negligees or beautiful Parisian-made fabrics and clothing, but not necessarily for all this other kind of stuff. Absolutely. For us, it was very important to bring to Paris what we couldn't find. That's why we've been lucky to travel to Tokyo just before we opened, to Hong Kong, to New York, obviously, and to, to do some, not even research because it went very fast, but we wanted to open a shop because we realized we had some friends, if someone goes to New York, bring me back a Kiehl's shampoo because we could not find Kiehl's in Paris at all. And if you think about it now, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's funny because there is a, uh, lots of kids shops uh, around the world. And it was just things like this. If you go to London, bring me back this. Or, uh, and of course, from Tokyo, we were amazed by the sneakers industry, by the watches, by so many things. And even when we opened, for example, magazines like Paper, like Purple, like Self Service, like Dazed, ID, The Face, it was not easy to find in Paris in the kiosk. So we wanted to have everything we loved, which we found inspiring. We wanted to bring them together. And it was also an old brand like Emilio Pucci. It was not yet part of uh, LVMH. It was still a family business. It was... Things we loved with no rules, uh, you know, just from our instinct. And uh, yes, it was important to have a very international mix from the beginning. 
And also, you proved that you had a great eye because, well, not only did the product sell, but even, you know, let's say in the artists that you chose to work with, who today are very well known, for example, like Cause is somebody that you worked with very early on. Absolutely. No, that was uh, retro, I think, from 98 or 99. I think it's, I don't even remember how we met. If it was through Matt Jones, from Terry and Tricia Jones, uh, family or how, but I, I was so lucky to be able to go to visit an artist uh, studio and say, let's do a, a show in our gallery in two or three months and to be able to to organize. Uh, it was all very spontaneous and I really tried for the gallery space to, like you said, it would be a graphic artist, it could be photography, it could be graphic design, to have lots of different uh, styles of artists. But sometimes it was also established artists. I, I like the fact it was never uh, what you expected to see. And Colette also became more than just a store. It was a scene where many people would come in and, and hang out. You'd have regulars there. Karl Lagerfeld was one of your fans. He said, it's the only shop where I go because they have things no one else has. There's only one Colette and her and Sarah are 200% involved. I know you're very busy and you're working. Somebody was telling me how they were setting up a show at the gallery space and it was late at night and they were leaving and they'd heard some noise and it turned out that you were still there. And you hadn't even finished, and it was well past midnight at that time. So what was your schedule like in those days? It was really nonstop working, and, uh, and we were very honored that Monsieur Lagerfeld would come regularly on Saturday to his uh, shopping. And it's true, it was uh, nonstop around the clock. When we opened, so weekly, we would change all the shop. And when we opened, it was by night. So we would try to do it uh, from 7 p.m. when we close uh, until 11 a.m. Uh, when we reopened. But after a few years, we did it on the Sunday. So it was really seven days a week and nonstop working. And, uh, and we loved it. It was our life, our passion. I don't know if you had the chance um, to watch the documentary, Collect Mon Amour. Yes, I watched it. You can see it on your webpage. It was this documentary produced by uh, Ice Nobody and Black Pack, which we didn't commission. Hugh, uh, as a director, asked if he could come to show the end of uh, Colette, the last six months. One question I want to ask also is, why didn't you sell? I'm sure you had offers and, you know, in the world today, that's the next step. You just sell it to someone and let them continue the story. Now, may we get too much of ourselves in this space, and it was like our baby. We thought about it for one minute, and just not even one minute, because we realized, I think we would suffer to all the work we gave to this shop to be what it is. If suddenly you would have the name of Colette with something of not as the same, I don't know how to say it. <laughs> <laughs> not as authentic, carried on by a corporate brand that's just doing it, but not living it in the same way you did. Exactly. It's much better like this. Maybe there is a regret. Maybe someone will take care very well of Colette and it would have been a fantastic new uh, adventure. We will never know, but at least we didn't want to take the risk. Yeah, well, I doubt it. I, I doubt that someone could <laughs> actually make it better. 
because it was so much an expression of who you are, just in the same way that paper magazines, especially in the early days before the internet, uh, or at least Instagram took over and became the source for people to find out what was going on and who's interesting. Magazines lost a lot of their power in that way and could no longer write about the people that we loved necessarily because the world had changed so much, in my opinion, during that period. So today, paper is a very different product, but I think it reflects the times that we're in and we were lucky to have somebody to take it over in that way, but it's not this certainly not the same. No, I was going to say it's already for collect on for paper. I think it's quite brave that we uh, managed to do for as long as we did what we loved, what we wanted. Um, it's talent to be able to adapt ourselves to our time. To, we reflect our times and it, we have to evolve with, with it. And it's, and it's not always easy, I suppose. Well, also, you had some personal other things going on in your life, right? Beside the story, you met someone, you fell in love, you got married, you had a child. Do you think that would have been possible if you were still doing the store and being so busy all the time? Yes, it would have been possible, but not the same. When I grew up, my mom was working nonstop already. And Woody was already five or six when we decided to close, so I... I managed to have uh, even to be married to meet someone that I've been single for so long. <laughs> it was great to be able to 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 work nonstop, and it's true when I you realize you can, many women manage to combine uh, lots of work and uh, their family life. But it's true, it wouldn't have been the same. I'm so so happy and lucky to be able to spend weekends with my. Uh, son uh, with my family without worrying that I have to run to install a, a new exhibition or a new uh, window. So it would have been different. You didn't really move to the U.S. Your husband is American filmmaker, video director, Philip Andelman, and you moved to New York to be with him. What was the attraction of being in New York? And you have a cabin in Woodstock now? And uh, no, it's more uh, Philip who moved to Paris to be <laughs> with me. No, really? Yes, our son is going to school in Paris and I like to stay close from my mom. But Philip introduced me to upstate and we have this uh, lovely house in uh, near uh, Phoenicia. And uh, it's a perfect balance to be able to go there during summer and during holidays and, uh, and we love it. <laughs> Oh, okay. So your residence is still in Paris, your main residence. Yes, yes. Okay. So then you started a new company, right? So you didn't really, you couldn't really just relax <laughs> and, and become a full-time wife, mother. You have a new business now. It's called Just an Idea. Tell me a little bit about that. It was a kind of continuity of Colette to connect people together and help brands to develop collaborations with artists, with other brands. I help them to curate for special projects, for a, a pop-up space, or just for a collection to curate the right people around it. And um, I will also start to publish books this year, to artist books, still with intro projects with fashion, with beauty, with design, with high tech. So I, I like same as Colette to, to touch all these different uh, worlds. What, what is the artist books? 
Anything you could tell us of which artist it is? Alors, it's a collection. So the five first books is, uh, are uh, including from New York, Sho Shibuya, this creative director who did the beautiful New York Times painting every day with uh, the dégradé. There is uh, Nicole McLaughlin, who is upcycling lots of different uh, products she transforms in, in shoes or piece of clothes. There is uh, Douglas Couplant with his slogans. There is this flower artist in Paris called Louis Gérard Castor. And there is an Australian illustrator called Eric NG. So it's lots of different profiles, but uh, it will be always the same format of books, same number of pages, same uh, size. And uh, it should be out soon. I can't wait. <laughs> and are you going to put them out separately or as one group? Are they going to be packaged in a, as a product? Separately. One book by artist. Yeah, so what is it about books that made you want to do that instead of movies or other projects? Of course, I always love books, but it's also artists where I thought right now what they're doing is mostly only visible on Instagram. And as much as I love Instagram, which can be very inspiring, I think they deserve another support, so they deserve more. So that's why it's mostly uh, except... Uh, famous uh, Douglas Coupland, all those uh, artists, I think they started to, to do their work shooting with their iPhone for Instagram. And I think it's, it's what they, their talent should be beyond. So I still believe in paper. I still believe uh, to a nice publication limited. It's, I, for me, it's, it's an, something we will always need for inspiration, for reference. For, uh, so that's why I contacted them. So you work with brands because you have been doing that before, right? Even while you still had Colette. Yeah, during Colette's age, I had to develop lots of collaborations for Colette because we were always looking for something a little special, exclusive. And it's true, it's a little the same energy. When brands contact me, but someone else eyes on it or a different approach. And I... I don't really communicate on it myself because I think there it's make too many entities and I stay, I do it a little uh, in the shadow, but it's great to be able to connect people to where it makes sense. I really try to keep it meaningful for everybody. When you look back at your Colette experience and even now, what are the most products or shows that you're most proud of today? Oh, no, no. <laughs> Too many, right? You don't want to say, Uh, (laughs) you don't want to offend anyone, but just like pick a few anyway. Oh, um, I don't know uh, from where to start. (laughs) All right. Well, let's ask it a different way. How about what was the biggest disasters (laughs) (laughs) that happened that we never, behind the scenes? I can't think of any, no, no. Is there anything still left that you want to do? If Colette was around today, that you think would be a great, and I'm sure you still have those ideas constantly coming up. Oh, if we had the store, we could really do this or that, anything of that nature. This happens a lot. I see. That's why I think I wanted to start publishing uh, books because I see this talent. So I think if I had Colette, I would definitely invite them for a show in the gallery, or uh, I would. Uh, order this beauty brand or I would order this young designer. I see lots of great people that if I had it, I would uh, definitely uh, uh, support them. 
And I try to do it in my new life, in my new activities in, in different ways. I just stay always open and curious to what's happening, still a lot in Japan, in New York, in, in Europe, a little everywhere. And, and I'm still very excited when I touch by something new, something I haven't seen before. It's so difficult for artists, for designers to manage to be relevant. I think even during all this COVID confinement, I noticed the people who managed to express themselves, find new ways and not be stopped, you know, by the limits. And, and I, I have lots of admiration for all these uh, different artists, talents who, who can always re think, reinvent, stay flexible, let's say. <laughs> This COVID time and also in our Trump fake news and the big lie era that we're in, I think artists have even more responsibility than ever because they can say things and express how we feel in a way that is not fake news. You know what I mean? It has to be true. And and it's a way to connect. You know, art to me seems more important now than uh, it ever was. Yeah, for sure. Just talk about Paris for a few minutes. How how is things over there now? It's not too bad because we have some life. It says the shops are open, schools are open. That's good. What is the close? Our restaurants, they all organized to do takeaway. This is an example. You know, you notice there is lot majority of the restaurants they reorganize themselves to offer takeaway, and some they. Either they cannot or it's just too difficult for them to to change from what they are used to do. Paris is, is not too bad, but you you know you never know what's going to be announced uh, the following week because I, there is lots of countries around us with strong lockdown from uh, Germany or UK or uh, Italy. Yes. And are you able to travel? Have you been able to go to Tokyo or any of your... No, I, I miss Japan so, so, so much. I can't wait to go. I was supposed to go uh, last April and I was hoping to go this April, but I'm not sure it's, it's, going, to, it's going to be possible. I've been lucky to go up, upstate this summer with my husband and son. And we just went to Kenya for the Christmas holidays. It was my Yes, I saw that. That was amazing. Tell me about it. First safari, that's something we wanted to do for so long, but we always would call too late. We had lots of cancellations, so we managed to visit three different areas of Kenya, and that was uh, really fantastic. We went to Italy also in October to Rome and Firenze, and it was incredible because I was... Nobody, nobody <laughs> in church. And we felt very lucky, very grateful. But it was sad also to see these uh, empty restaurants, people selling selfie sticks for tourists and, <laughs> and waiting for uh, cars which will not come back for a while. So that's a very strange time for sure. Did you get any inspiration from Kenya that will be a part of you in the future? We've been quite isolated. We went to two uh, safari. We went to Lalkaka and Masai Mara, which was incredible because it's so green on the animals. You can really be close from elephant, giraffe, uh, lions. They, they, they don't move. So that was very strong impressions. And we went to this Kiwayu Island to a place called Mike's Camp, which is very, very rude because it's just a bucket shower. There is no, there is nothing, nothing, nothing. It's uh, very special. 
And it's funny because uh, everybody think I am snob, but it was more my husband, Philippe, who wanted to leave uh, <laughs> earlier. And, and it was, you know, there was no windows in the, this little house made of... Um, Straw? Exactly, or... exactly. And I loved it. Personally, it was a great experience. It was like floating, completely disconnected, and it was uh, a great way to end uh, 2020. Yeah. yeah, well, we're all looking forward to 2021. Tomorrow is our inauguration of our new president. And, you know, usually those events aren't such a big deal for people. But this time, I think it is. I was really not very optimistic. And uh, it's such a relief for U.S. Yeah, so hopefully it'll be the beginning of the end and the beginning of something new and we'll all be able to visit each other and drink some of that great water. (laughs) Thank you very much, Sarah, for being with me today. And my guest, it's so nice to catch up with you this way. And I look forward to seeing you in person with your family. Thank you so much and congratulations for your podcast. I can't believe you did so many already. In counting, it's like 72 or 73 or something. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. All right, take care. Bye bye. Thank you. You've been listening to Light Culture. You can find us at shopburb.com, Light Culture, or at Light Culture Podcast. Thanks again to Burb. You can follow them at ShopBurb on Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe to and review the show. If you would like to get in touch, reach out to me directly at David Reporting. Thanks for listening.